0: And so we can celebrate that. This is like the pinnacle of our faith, and we are super excited to do that. Um, so I grew up as kind of like a suburban kid, and as a suburban kid, it wasn't really rural. I call Jackson sub-rural, suburban-rural, kind of mixed. I was just suburban, okay? And I, didn't, I grew up with my mom, raised by my mom, dad in and out of my life, so I wasn't really a nature lover. I loved anything sports. My undergrad was phys ed, okay? But, uh, so sports, baseball, basketball, football golf, you name it, I loved it. But as far as hunting, fishing, outdoors, adventuring, mountains, all that kind of stuff, I didn't get into that. As I've aged, that's changed, though. And uh, I now enjoy all of those things, hunting, fishing, adventuring, mountains, all of that. And so this led to the past couple of years our family taking a summer vacation where we got to see a different part of the country. A couple years ago we went to the Black Hills. Would highly recommend that for anyone with kids. It was a great trip. And uh, last year I, I was thinking about where do we want to go, and I thought I kept hearing online and from friends, you've got to go to like Estes Park area. You've got to go to Rocky Mountain National Park. It's just beautiful. And, I mean, I think some people were kind of thinking about this next Slide. The mountains are calling and I must go. Have you seen this before? There's reasons I put this up. One, because it's a cool picture. Two, because it's April 1st and it's 30 degrees out. But I digress. Right? The mountains are calling and I must go. So I decided Rocky Mountain National Park, that sounds great, let's do it. And in going to Rocky Mountain National Park, one of the things that online and people, again, told me that we needed to do was we needed to experience Trail Ridge Road. Some of you guys might know what that is, but it's a stretch of 48 continuously paved miles that twists and turns and jots and juts up through the mountains, reaching an altitude of 12,000 feet. Pretty cool. Yeah, my kids are like, yeah, pretty cool. If you could put up that next image, Gary. But then I heard people say online and in person, you should plan at least a half day for this. And I'm like. I mean, I know i got a minivan, I'm not going to weave in and out 75 miles an hour, but really, do I need a half a day to go see Trail Ridge Road and experience that? And they said that because there's various points where you can pull off and look at the Rocky Mountains and see it from different angles and things. And I'm thinking, the Rocky Mountains are the Rocky Mountains are the Rocky Mountains, right? Blah, blah, blah. Do I really need a half a day to experience this? If you put up that next image for me. Gary. So I should have sold this to the National Park Service because I used a $100 dollars stand and shoot camera, and it's just amazing, right? But anyways, this is a picture that I took of a Trail Ridge Road, and it did take a half a day. It was amazing because every pull-off and every turn and everything you come to, it's a different experience. Sometimes you see the Rockies and you see the lushness of them. Other times we would be going and a thunderstorm would roll in and it was just like, wow, God, you are powerful. And it was like ominous in a good way almost. And yet there's other times where you just look and as far as the eye can see, you just see mountain after mountain after mountain. It was amazing. But it was more amazing experiencing it than just being told about it. I could look online, you could look at that picture on the screen and you could say, that looks cool. Right, but until I was there, until I actually saw it, until I was actually able to feel the rocks, until I was actually able to smell the air, until I experienced it, it wasn't quite the same. But once I did, I was like, experiencing is believing. I can tell you, I can understand why people have said you need to take this much time and take it in. And see, this morning, we're going to look at the single biggest event in the history of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that his followers were thinking and feeling and sensing all sorts of different emotions as they experienced this guy who claimed to be able to save them and deliver them and restore, you know, political rule, whatever. He died. And so we're going to take a step back to Mark 16 and try and put ourselves in the place, try and experience what Jesus' followers experienced as he had been crucified and see i would imagine that as we step into a gathering like this this morning some of us are at or many of us are at different places in our journey with jesus some of us are here and maybe we're a little bit skeptical okay maybe we're like you know what i don't know if i can believe this i don't know what i think about jesus i don't know what i think about faith um i kind of come in here maybe like a doubting thomas You know, I don't know if I buy all of that that happened. And I think what you're going to find is you're going to find yourself in good company with some of Jesus' disciples that they doubted too. And we're so glad that you're here with us this morning if that's where you come in. Some of us are here this morning and intellectually in our minds, we're like, yeah, I believe what we talk about today, what we talk about regularly. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died a sufficient death. He rose in victory over sin and death. I believe all of that. There's nothing I would deny. And yet maybe it's more head than it is heart. Maybe it's more in your mind than it is experiencing God's love for you through your heart and his radical grace shown in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And maybe others of us are here this morning. And as Todd talked about, as I talked about, we're super amped. And not because too much coffee, but because this is the day that we celebrate that God in the person and work of Jesus Rose defeating sin and death and his enemy And what I want to tell you is no matter where you find yourself this morning We're really glad that you're here and I think you're going to be able to find yourself In the story that we look at So what I would invite you to do is turn to mark chapter 16 with me if you don't have a bible You can use one of ours under here if you have an app you can use that too. That's legal uh, otherwise I would invite you to turn to mark 16 in your own scriptures And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 in Mark chapter 16. I think we have a page number on a slide. Do we, Gary, or did I miss that one? I missed that one. That's page 709 in this. Page 709 if you're using the Bible under your chair. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who is crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter... He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. In preparing for this message, I listened to a talk by a brilliant pastor, author, scholar named Tim Keller. And so the premise of the outline that you see in your bulletin today is not mine originally. I want to give credit where credit is due. That's his. I've massaged the points and made them my own but the basic premise is his so I want to be sure to give him credit And here's the three things we're going to look at today first You see in your outline that this passage will give us a credible gospel corroboration or witness Okay, this is credible and it it lends credibility to the story to the good news story of jesus second. We're going to see the um, Compassionate gospel character as we look at this passage and third, we're going to see the clear gospel call. Those are the three points that we're going to follow along in this narrative today. One other note, you'll note if you're looking at the Bibles that are provided or maybe your own, that there's an asterisk starting at verse 9. See, what's thought happened is from verses 9 to 20, someone came along about 100 years later and said, this ending is not good. This is like like you're leaving us suspenseful. And so they came along 100 years later and they added to what Mark said. I want to be very clear. Nothing that they added goes against anything that's written in the scriptures or written here, this is one of only two to three total places in the entire Bible where this is thought to have happened, okay? So I just want to show you that, though. If you see that asterisk and think, what's going on there? Did these guys just compile this Bible? They went to, got together at a hookah bar and made it up one night. That's not what happened, right? There's more historical and manuscript evidence for this piece of literature by far, bar none, it's not even close, than any other piece of literature in their history of man. But I did want to point out what was going on in verses 9 through 20. Look at verse 1 with me. We see three people, okay? Mary, Mary, and Salome. And I want to stop and note something that Keller notes that probably wouldn't be obvious unless you think about the historical context that this was written. When you look at those three people, what gender are they? at least the first two, you might not know Salome, I don't know, what is that name? But the first two, they're, they're, they're women, right? And so you're like, so what? I, I want you to think back to, take a step back and think about what Jesus' mission would have been when he originally came to earth and he called 12 men and he said, here's what I want you to do, I want you to come and follow me and I'm going to make you into something you're currently not. I'm going to take you from being fishermen to being fishers of men he was going to pour into them for three years so that after he left earth they could show and tell the good news message of jesus that was his intent and so what we can deduce is if that's your intent to carry on a message after you and if you would want to include these scriptures eventually to do that we would want these scriptures to be as credible as possible correct And we would want the people named in them to be the most credible people ever. If you're a lawyer and you're you're doing a trial, you want your witnesses to be credible witnesses. This is no different. And this is why it makes it so interesting that Mark used women to corroborate his story here. Now, please listen to me. I'm not saying it was right, but the context here gave much more credence to the corroboration or the witness of men. Than it did of women in Judaism and society at large at that time women's opinions wouldn't have been valued as much as they are today. This is why it makes it so interesting that Mark uses women in his account of Jesus. It's not interesting for Jesus. He continually broke social norms. Right. He continually treated women with dignity and respect. But the cultural context was different. Um, When I went to seminary, so this is back 2000 to 2004, my graduate program was 120 credit hours. And I'm not saying that to brag. I would do the shorter one next time if I did it over. But it was a lot of work. I had five semesters in Hebrew, which is the language that up until Matthew, the whole Old Testament, that's what it was written in. I had five semesters in that. I had four semesters in Greek, which is what originally the New Testament was written in. And I had uh, classes like uh, systematic theology, soteriology, which means the study of salvation, eschatology, the study of end times, boringology. That wasn't really one, but sometimes it felt like it. All that to say is I paid my dues, and upon graduating and coming to Kettlebrook, I was ordained as a minister. It means I could perform weddings, I could perform funerals, things like that. Did you know... That you could be ordained too. You too could be ordained with a few clicks of a mouse. Did you know that? If you put up that next image for me. Become an ordained minister. Get legally ordained to perform weddings. Everyday universal life church ministers perform thousands of legal weddings, baptisms, funerals, and even operate their own churches. If you're wondering how to become an ordained minister, you've come to the right place. Utilizing the ULC's instant online ordination platform, anyone who feels so called can become a minister within seconds buck a ordination. Ordination is fast, free, and easy. Perform weddings legally. Gain free access to ULC training, right? And look at a couple of the people. These are some impressive people who have done this. Next slide, please. We've got Conan O'Brien. How do you get better than Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right? These are people. Lady Gaga. You you thought she was just doing bad romance. She is an ordained minister through ULC, apparently, right? So we have all these people up here who are ordained, Through this website. Now, the question would be Would you rather have Conan O'Brien or myself teach you from the scriptures? Don't answer that. You might rather have Conan. Here's where I'm going with that. (laughs) Well, you might rather have Conan. I think because of the study, I would be a more credible gospel teacher. Now, don't misunderstand me. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible to follow Jesus well. I'm just talking strictly teaching from the Bible, okay? And so in this context, in this context, Mark using these women, again, because of the cultural times, to corroborate Jesus' good news story would be like Conan teaching you on Easter Sunday. It wouldn't make sense to do unless one thing is happening. It's true. It's true that this actually happened Right, Because otherwise you would tie up the loose ends better. You would get, find people who would be you know, thought to have um, credence and uh, their corroboration would be valued. You wouldn't do it the way Mark did it except for one reason. It actually happened. It was actually true. Look again at, at, at what these uh, women and even others are thinking throughout this narrative. Look at verse 1 with me again. They brought spices to anoint Jesus' body. Verse 2, on Sunday, they are on their way to the tomb where Jesus had been laid. Verse 3, uh, they say to each other, if we're going to anoint Jesus' body, we're going to have to go roll the stone away. And not even the three of us are strong enough to do that is the implication. Verse 4, they saw the stone rolled away. Verse 5, they see an angel, which a young man sitting in a robe, and they're freaked out. He tells them, don't be freaked out. They're like, thanks, that helps. They don't say that. That's my part. They, he says, I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's risen. He isn't here. Here's the thing. Mark had said three different times in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, Jesus predicted that he would suffer, he would die, and he would be raised to life three days later. And in verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, meaning Saturday, meaning the second day, they brought spices. Verse 2, the very early on the first day, meaning Sunday, meaning the third day, Jesus predicted, the day he predicted he'd rise from death, they're going to the tomb ready to anoint a dead man. With spices. And so all we're left to think is that these three women, who at least were doing something, and all of his other followers who were doing nothing, they didn't think it was going to happen. They didn't really believe that Jesus would do what he said he would do and that he would rise from the dead. It seems like they also had trouble believing without experiencing. See, Mark didn't make this up because if he did, he would have had better flow. Wouldn't you want the characters in your story to actually believe the Savior, right? If it wasn't true, you'd like make it all neat and tidy, but it's not neat and tidy because it's right. And so this text gives us a credible gospel corroboration. And so if you walked in this morning skeptical, so were Jesus's followers. His own followers too were too. Second point, this text gives us a compassionate gospel character. It shows the character of the gospel and the character of Jesus, which was compassion. Teller also notes, look look again at this. Wouldn't it be easier to say, go and tell Jesus' disciples? If you were writing this and you were kind of trying to make it the most efficient, the most easy to understand, the best flow, wouldn't you just say, Go and tell Jesus' disciples. You wouldn't say, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Why did he add that point? See, Marcus thought to have been a companion of Peter, traveled around with him, and Peter no doubt told them about firsthand accounts in his interactions with Jesus. And I guarantee you that if he did that, Peter would have told them about a really significant life, a, event in his life as a follower of Jesus. Think back with me. Jesus is on trial, flogged, carries his own cross, crown of thorns, spit on, beaten, mocked. You have it. Ready to be crucified. And what happens to Peter? Jesus predicts it. But Peter denies Jesus three times. So in the moment where Jesus needed someone to have his back the most... To stand with him, to stand on his side, one of his foremost followers, Peter, does the exact opposite and denies he even knows him. See, if this had played out with other rabbis, teachers, Jewish teachers in Jewish's time, I I, I almost guarantee they would have been like, I'm done with you. You're dead to me. But we see a compassionate gospel character in this instance because Jesus isn't focused on his deficiencies and shortcomings. Peter's, that is. But he's focused on his character of mercy and compassion to a broken humanity. I mean, this is nothing short of amazing. Do you guys remember some of you uh, growing up where, uh, say, you know, if you had a sibling, there was maybe a little bit of fighting that would happen. You'd get into arguments. You'd do whatever, right, when you're growing up. And yet... Were you to go out in the block playing to go out to school and someone picked on your brother or someone picked on your sister? This next image, if you put it up, Gary, it's kind of like you channeled your inner WWE and you in your inner dialogue was and his name is John Cena. Right. Like if someone picked on your sibling, it didn't matter that moments before you were the worst of enemies because you were their protector. You were their defender. Peter here does the exact opposite. In Jesus' time of deepest need, he deserts him. He deserts him. So I got permission to share this story. A while back, some friends of ours were going out of town, and they have this adorable poochie, and um, since I'm an evil ruler of a father who doesn't allow my kids to experience doggy life, uh, they said, hey, can you watch the pooch for us? And I said, yeah, I love this dog. My kids would have fun. I love them. Let's do it. And so they got to our house, and we're watching the dog, and within, fair, I don't know how much time, but fairly soon, it starts sniffing around, and I don't know a lot about dogs. I didn't grow up with it that much, but I figured, okay, this might not be good, and pretty soon after that, we find a surprise, okay? No big deal. Wipe it up. Clean it up. So a little bit later, we're going on, and the uh, second time, we find another surprise, okay? A little bit later, we're going on. Third time, we find another surprise. And at this point, I'm praising God for laminate floors, right? No, but we are, are, are watching it. And then I took it on a walk, things like that. And um, you know how when dogs have an accident or when they feel shame or whatever, their heads are down and they're, they're you know, kind of not coming towards you, etc. cetera, because they, they feel afraid. They feel like I've done something wrong. I've messed up. I wonder if Peter here... Spiritually speaking might have felt the same way that he had messed up three times He literally denied being a follower of jesus at his time of deepest need and can you imagine the shame that he would have felt Imagine the shame that jesus would have felt in each time and so in in mark relaying hey ladies go and tell his disciples And tell peter can you imagine the elation that peter would feel that? The way Jesus works and the way the good news of Jesus works isn't like how the world works. There's second and third and a hundred and second and a hundred and third chances. And the one who hurt and wounded Jesus the most, he says, come back to me with open arms. Follow me. Believe in me. Experience. I actually did what I said I was going to do. And I can empower you to go and show and tell the world the same see, the good news of Jesus and his resurrection is arising from shame to freedom. It's arising from past mistakes to a current experience of being fully commuted, fully forgiven. Jesus' good news culminates in rising and defeating anything we've done. Anything. Anything we're doing. And anything we could ever do. That's the good news of the gospel. His grace is bigger than our sin. And his grace, when we understand that, is the only thing that motivates us to properly live for him is out of gratitude in thanks for what he's so wonderfully done for us, he can begin to do through us. And we might have walked in this morning and maybe we don't feel like we deserve his love and his grace. But what if we were to look at Peter, go tell his disciples and Peter? And what if we were to open our minds to seeing anew that our God is a God of second chances and what if that allowed you to begin following him, knowing that his resurrection defeated your sin and it can actually empower you to live for him here and now? And what if others of us who are here this morning and we intellectually think I said about Peter, but what if we allowed that belief to sink from here? to hear. See, family, when we do that, it changes everything. It changes our hearts and which in turn changes our lives. So, so far we've seen that Mark gives a credible gospel corroboration. He also gives a compassionate gospel character. As we read um, it, the verse that we read, it said the women went out afraid, right? And didn't say anything. They were afraid. If we were to read the companion account of this in Matthew, Chapter 28, if you could put that up, Gary, we would see this. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Can you imagine that? Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Remember, them? they, along with all the other disciples, think he's dead. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The last part of this passage is a clear gospel call. Jesus invites them, after experiencing the truth that he rose from the grave, to then live a show-and-tell life. That their lives, through him changing their marriages, their families, um, their attitudes towards serving their attitudes towards you name it, it would show that he's real and then that they would be empowered to go and tell other people when they ask why it's because of jesus it's because of him that you're different these were regularly ordinary people these weren't your a list okay and this has served to encourage us that, you know, there's going to be ups and downs, Jesus would say. There's going to be tough times and struggles. But if you've got an open and humble spirit, I can use you, no matter where you're at. Even if you're in the room right now doubting, I can use you to tell others this wonderfully amazing true story that Jesus lived and died and rose and defeated Sin and death and this isn't dependent upon occupation or education or economic status It doesn't matter whether you follow jesus for your whole life that you remember or if you're brand new what matters is a heart open to Experiencing the good news of jesus so that you can then express it Like that's amazing think about it There is no one disqualified in this room who is seated here from being a part of jesus's good news story that's amazing So where do you find yourself this morning as you sit in the seats here? And we've talked about a credible gospel cooperation. We've talked about a compassionate gospel character and a clear gospel call to go and tell live a show and tell life. Where do you find yourself? If if you're here and you're kind of you're skeptical, you're doubting. Here's what I'd encourage you. Investigate. Investigate. Take one of these home with you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take them. Uh, Take one of these and read the accounts of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Note what it says about him. Note what he does. Note what it says about his followers. Note what they do. And as you're reading it, who knows? Maybe anew or for the first time you might experience the reality of Jesus Christ too and that he's real, that he's living that he's active, I'd invite you to investigate. If you, if you like to read and intellectually you're stimulated by books, a great book to explore from a reason perspective is C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. It's a great book to explore. I'd invite you to investigate. Maybe you're here this morning and your faith is something that's there. You believe, but really it's more to a head belief. If someone were to ask you about your experience of Jesus, you wouldn't really know what to say. Maybe you would say what others have told you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not yet stepped into the freedom that Jesus offers you. A change of heart to live for him now, not because you have to, but because you get to. Not out of duty, but out of devotion. If that's where you are today, I'd invite you to discover anew the reality of Jesus's power and Jesus's grace and invite him to change your heart, invite him to spur your heart and to kind of, Encourage your heart towards how great he is, how awesome he is, that he lived, that he died, that he rose for not just everybody, but for you. And maybe some of us are here this morning and and you're seeking to more and more allow this reality to shape your heart and to shape your life. And I pray that this credible gospel cooperation, this compassionate gospel character and this clear gospel call would just serve as a simple reminder of how great how mighty how awesome our god is in the person and work of jesus and that he not only can but he is using your life in ways you can see and you can't see to live his show and tell mission to show of his great love for humanity shown principally in the person and work of jesus christ i pray that that would encourage your heart to continue to do what you're doing and to continue to more and more entrust your life to his good care wherever we're at this morning experiencing is believing and so I pray that through worshiping together that our hearts could be encouraged to take one more step towards experiencing the reality of Jesus risen let's pray Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that um, this scripture can encourage our hearts. Like, it it really happened. That's amazing, God. And I pray that if there are any here this morning who, who doubt that, that they would investigate, that they would seek to read for themselves, that they would seek to talk with others who could listen well to their hearts and answer questions and ask good questions. I pray that you'd allow them to take a step to experiencing that reality. If there are those here this morning who they believe it in their head, But maybe it would be hard to make it down to their heart and experience that reality in their life. God, I pray that you would just work and move in mighty ways in their heart. May they have a renewed vision, a renewed passion, a a different vision, a different passion for the reality of the risen Jesus. And may it change them. And I pray for those of us here this morning who are seeking to orient our life around your son, Jesus. We're seeing the difference that he makes in our life. Continue to encourage us. Continue to encourage us that it's worth it, that it really happened, that uh, all that time ago that Jesus really rose from the dead and he empowers us to live a different life where we can go on his show-and-tell mission of good news to the world. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you this day that he rose, defeating sin and death and your enemy and all God's people said,